Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Spiritual Life and Leadership. This is the podcast where we discover together the many ways that faithful spiritual leadership flows from a faithful spiritual life. Now, one of the things that I've learned over the years is that life is not a straight line. It is impossible to say with accuracy or certainty that in 10 years, this is what my life is going to look like. And these are the things that will happen to get me there, right? Yes, there are things we can do to help us achieve our goals. We can set five-year goals and 10-year goals and all this and that. We can take steps to get there, but there is a whole lot that we cannot predict and that we don't have any control over. Life can throw all kinds of crazy curveballs at us. Right? We can't control or predict if we get cancer, or if someone we love passes away, or if a relationship falls apart, or if we lose our job, or if the economy crashes. The question is, what do we do when we find ourselves in these circumstances? When it feels like we've fallen into a pit, when it feels like we're in the belly of a fish. Here's the thing, as much as we want to avoid hard times, suffering is a critical component of spiritual growth, right? Because it's in these times of suffering that we learn that, as Rich Mullins used to say, we are not as strong as we think we are, right? It's in times of suffering that we discover that we have far less control over our lives than we thought, and this is such an important lesson to learn, especially as spiritual leaders. And the reason is because it is in these times of suffering that we learn to surrender to God. And and as spiritual leaders, that's what we need. We need to learn to surrender to God. And so this episode is a sermon that I recently preached at Westmoreland Community Presbyterian Church. It's a sermon on Jonah chapter 2, and the title is The Best Place to Meet God. And what we're going to see is that Jonah discovered that sometimes the worst place to be can turn out to be the best place, because that's the place where we are finally able to have a deeply transformative encounter with God. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is Episode 10 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Let me just kind of start with this question, because this pertains to what we'll be talking about. Have you ever been through... Kind of a season of life, a period of your life where things were just not going well, right? Um, where you know maybe your health was not uh, in good shape, and you weren't sure how things were going to turn out. Maybe you uh, lost someone that you love, or someone that you love, their health was going down downhill, or uh, financial struggles, or job-related struggles, work-related struggles. Um, I just kind of think back to what that was like. That was hard, wasn't it? Um, right? Um, Jonah chapter 2 today is one of those season, uh, one, uh, one of those stories or, or part of the story where Jonah is in that place, right, where it's really hard. Uh, I've been through some of those times. I'll share one of them with you uh, right now. Um, I may have touched on this in the past, but when I was a kid, I wanted to be a movie star. Really. (laughs) When I was in sixth grade, our teacher gave us this assignment. We had to bring a little cutout head of ourselves from a photograph, and then we 
you know, glued that head onto a piece of paper, and then we had to draw a picture of ourselves doing what we wanted to do when we grew up. So I drew myself as James Bond with a gun <laughs> and a bullet going, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> um, now, I got a little bit older. High school, I was like, ah, I don't want to be a, a, an actor. I, what I really want is I want to be a director. I want to be the guy who makes the movies. And so... Uh, near the end of college, uh, I got an internship in Hollywood, and uh, uh, it was fantastic. And I got to work on the 1994 Clio Awards, which is like the Oscars for best commercials. Um, I, I got to work on a Richard Marks video, who was, you know, was a pop star back in the day. And I got to work on a Muppets video. That was awesome. Right, I, I didn't get to talk to Frank Oz. Jim Henson had already passed away, right? Kermit the Frog. But Frank Oz, who does Miss Piggy, was there, and Yoda. He also did Yoda in Star Wars. Um, I didn't get to talk to him, but I, I was right next to the guy who who did Gonzo. Remember Gonzo? And I, uh, you know, this was 1994, and I said, "Man, it's crazy watching you guys do this." It was so cool. Okay. Uh, anyway, so they're, they're doing a little bit where they're talking to each other, Miss Piggy and Gonzo, and they're sitting on the floor going like this. And in between takes, they don't talk to each other. The puppets talk to each other. They say, oh, maybe next time you should do it like this. Oh, why don't you say this line, you know? It was awesome. <laughs> so anyway, um, so it was, it was such a great experience. Uh, I finished college, came back. I had some contacts now. I, I called and, uh, you know, some of the folks I had met and said, Hey, I'm here. I'm available. And I was a production assistant, bottom of the totem pole, meaning, you know, go get coffee, go make copies, you know. But that was okay. I was in, right? And I could climb my way up. Um, but after about a year, year and a half, I just kind of got to this place where I was like, I don't really love this anymore. It really what it was is kind of like a love hate relationship where, you know, the people at the bottom are treated like they're at the bottom, and the people at the top are treated like they're at the top. And right? you better treat the people at the top like they're at the top. And the other thing I realized was that if I was going to succeed in Hollywood, I was going to have to make that my number one priority in life. Right? And I was, you know, I was a Christian. I love Jesus, and I, I love being involved in my church. And I got to a place where, where I realized I just can't make this my number one priority. And... uh and so I made the really hard decision to quit. So this was now the summer of 1996. And that whole summer was just, I was just depressed, right? I was sad. It wasn't a clinical depression. It was circumstantial, but it was, I was just down. And I would go to, I was living with my parents, you know, and so I felt like a loser already, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, I was, uh, you know, I, I would go to bed really late, and then I'd wake up at 11 or 12, in, you know, at noon, and, and my parents would give me these looks sometimes, you know, like, what are you doing with your life? And then sometimes they would say, what are you doing with your life, right? And so finally, I, you know, after just sort of this really down time, I made this crazy decision. I was like, I don't know what to do. You know what? I'm just going to I'm just going to go to seminary. I don't know what else to do with my life. <laughs> That's literally what happened. <laughs> I, I tried two. There were two other things I tried to get into: Campus Crusade for Christ or Master's Degree in Communication. The the easiest, soonest thing I could do was get into Fuller Seminary. And so I was like, well, let me do that for a semester. If I like it, great. If not, I'll pursue those other things. And I loved it. But but right. But that that. That summer, that's what was so hard. And, and giving up my dream, 
that was like cutting my arm off. I mean, I had, that had been a part of me all my life. I mean, as far back as I could remember. That was a really, really hard time in my life. But it was also really formative, right? It was one of those times where I had to learn to surrender. And I had to say, okay, Lord, I don't know. I, I still didn't even think I'd become a pastor eventually. I thought I'll get a theological education and then do some sort of media stuff. But anyway... Someday you'll hear more of that story. Um, right? But these, these down times, these can be so life-changing. And this is, this is what happened to Jonah, and we're going to talk about that today. Let me do a quick recap of uh, chapter 1, which we talked about last week. So God comes to Jonah, you know, says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and preach against them because their wickedness has come up before me. And Jonah says, no way, I'm going this way. Right? And he, he gets on a ship headed for Tarshish. And uh, if you remember, right, Tarshish isn't necessarily a specific place. It's more like a metaphor. It was used metaphorically as as far away as you could get from where you were, from where, in this case, where God wanted him to be, right? And there's a storm. God sends a storm. The sailors all say, whoa, what's going on? Jonah says, it's my fault. Throw me overboard if you, you know, in order to save yourselves. They say, no, 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 we can't do that. You know, the good people. So finally, they try to row to shore, can't do it. They say, we're so sorry, we got to throw you overboard, <laughs> all right? But they pray and they say, God, please don't hold, you know, this against us. Um, and they throw him into the ocean, into the, into the sea, and the storm stops, right? That brings us to the end of chapter 1. Let me read the last verse of chapter 1 again. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we talked briefly about the fish uh, last week, and some people take it literally, some people take it figuratively, and I just don't think we need to argue about that. You know, the point is not the fish. The fish is hardly even mentioned in the story, right? Just a couple of times. The point is, what is God doing in Jonah, right? In the midst of this. But it is, it is kind of interesting the way the fish is described here and the language that's used. It says that God provided a huge fish. This word provided could also be translated as appointed or commissioned. It's actually the same word in Hebrew that would be used when a king commissioned an ambassador to another country, right? To go carry out the will of the king. And so here's this fish being commissioned by God to carry out the will of God. I like to imagine what that conversation might have been like. Hey, fish. Yes, Lord. (laughs) I have a job for you. What is it, Lord? Well, I'm going to give you instructions on a need-to-know basis, but here's the important thing, fish. Are you paying attention? Yes, Lord, I'm listening. When you get there, swallow don't chew. Okay? <laughs> so, the fish. Oh, that, uh, right? All right. So, there, so, God sends this fish. Jonah is swallowed by the fish. And that leads us into chapter 2. Um, what do you do, though, when you're inside the belly of a fish? Right? There's Jonah... Lots of time to pray, right? Because he's totally no control over his life at this point. He doesn't know how things are going to turn out. He doesn't know that three days later he gets spit up on the beach, right? For for all he knows, uh, this is the end of his life, right? 
and, and there's nothing he can do. And so he does really the only thing he can do, which is to pray. And so chapter 2 is Jonah's prayer while he's inside the belly of the fish. Let me read that to you. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up out of the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So, if there was one word that I think captures uh, the state of Jonah's existence at this moment, at this period, it would be the word down, right? He is going down, down, down. He is sinking down, down, down into the depths of the sea. And he uses that kind of language, right? You hurled me into the depths. Uh, The currents swirled about me. The breakers swirled. I've been banished from your sight. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. It's this down, down, down kind of language. He is sinking, sinking into the sea, which is a big deal, the sea, right? In the ancient world, uh, the sea uh, sort of represented the forces of chaos. Uh, When you read uh, the creation story, right, it starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, right? The waters represented sort of the chaos of what was there, and God was about to bring order into into chaos, right? The sea represented chaos. In fact, at the end of the Bible, so we've got the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible, Revelation, it says that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will no longer be any sea. Oh, why, why? I want to, I like the ocean, right? Why not? Right? But it's because it's, it's a symbol for there will be no more chaos, right? God's order will, will be uh, in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, and so the sea here, right, is this place of chaos, of, of fear, of violence, of, of devastation. Why is that? Right? Why, did it, why were they so scared? Now, there were people who sh- sailed the oceans, but, but they didn't know what was under there, right? They had no idea. They didn't have scuba gear. They didn't have snorkels. They didn't even have little goggles, right? There was no way to know. Every now and then, you know, you can imagine a whale or something would go under, right? Whoa, what is that creature? You know, maybe they knew it was a, a whale, but maybe it was something else. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, my, my parents had these Time Life nature books, and my favorite one was the one about sea creatures. And there were these pictures of imaginary creatures, like paintings and drawings, you know, from three or four hundred years ago. And I found some online that I just kind of thought I'd share with you. 
Let's go to the next slide here. All right, so here we go. Can you see it? So you've got all these creatures kind of hiding in the waters, right? Threatening the ship. All these imaginary creatures. Oh, and even back here, I just noticed there's some, right? But just, uh, right, this, and this is not from 2,500 years ago or whatever that, you know, Jonah would have been, but just from maybe three or 400 years ago. The, uh, right, these, this is what stirred the imagination. Here's another one, uh, right? Look at that, right? I've never seen one of those. Like Yoda. <laughs> like Yoda. <laughs> That's right, right? Right, but these are the kinds of things that they imagined under the sea. And then here's one more. This is actually from the story of Jonah. It's a little hard to see. Here's the ship, right? Here's kind of the shore, but here's the fish, right? Ready, mouth open. Oh, here's Jonah just kind of falling out of the, out of the, uh, the ship right there, right? This is what people imagine. And so, and now here's the other thing. Israelites, do you ever read stories in the Bible about the Israelites going on sea voyages, right? No, Jonah bought a ticket on a ship. That's about all you hear. Um, Solomon had a merchant fleet. That's the only thing we know about Israelites going on the oceans. And actually, a lot of scholars believe that this merchant fleet was not manned by Israelites, but by Phoenicians, right? A maritime people from another, from nearby, right? And so the Israelites had a lot of anxiety around the sea, around the ocean. Right? They didn't know what was there. And here's Jonah, Right? And he is sinking down into really what would have been the worst possible place to be as an ancient Israelite. Sinking to the bottom of the sea, this place of death and hopelessness. Right? Um, that's where Jonah finds himself. Right? And yet, this turns out to be the place where Jonah meets God. This is the place where Jonah meets God. Something, when you read this, something is going on inside of him. And isn't it interesting? The whole prayer is prayed in past tense, as though his salvation has already happened. There's something inside of him um, that God is doing. Right? Verse 6, for instance, right? To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit, right? There's that pit language, that down language, but you brought my life up from the pit. Something happened here. The the worst place that he could have possibly found himself turned out to be the best place because this was the place where Jonah had this profound encounter with God. Um, why is that, right? Uh, I've heard, I've heard uh, it's the, the book of Jonah summarized something like this, that the story of Jonah is a story about a man in the guts of a fish, in the sea, by a boat, in a storm, um, and it's here, right, in this place that Jonah meets God. That's what Jonah is about. That's what chapter 2 is about in any case. Um, now, at the end of this, these three days that Jonah's inside the, the fish, uh, Right Again, we read this. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Uh, I get curious sometimes about some of these words, and I was curious about the word vomit. <laughs> so I did a little word study because I thought, you know, well, maybe there's something theological here. Maybe it ha- has to do with an ushering forth or ascending or something like that. And I looked it up, and you know what it means? It means to puke, right? That's what it means. 
all those things that you think of, you know, when it comes to vomiting, that's what this word means. It was messy. He probably had to rinse off in the ocean for a long time, uh, right? So it's kind of funny, right? We're laughing because there is something kind of funny, kind of humorous about this story. Uh, stories, you know, broadly speaking, can be divided into two categories, tragedy and comedy. Right? Have you ever seen like the theater symbols? One is a laughing mask and one's a the crying mask, right? Comedy and tragedy. Tragedies are stories where uh, life loses, right? Hope loses, joy loses. A comedy, uh, more broadly speaking than just a funny ha-ha, you know, movie or story that makes you laugh constantly, but it's a story where life wins, where hope wins, where joy wins. And in that sense, Jonah is a comedy, right? Because when everything looked like the end had come, like this was death, then, ah, life wins, joy wins, hope wins, um, Right. And so why, and so it turns out, right? In, in this place where Jonah thought that he was in the worst possible place that he could be, turns out that he was in the best possible place that he could be. In the belly of, who would have ever thought that the belly of the fish could have been the best place for Jonah <laughs> to end up? Right? But it was because this is the place where Jonah encountered God. Now he had encountered God when God said, go to Nineveh. But he resisted God, right? Um, here he had this encounter with God. Why is that? I think we find part of the answer in any case in verse 8. He says this. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Right? Now Jonah had, when he said, no, I'm going to Tarshish, he had turned away essentially right, from God's love for him. Um, but, but who's he talking about here? Those who cling to worthless idols. You know, there's a few possibilities. Maybe he's talking about the Ninevites, right? The people of Nineveh, the, the, the ones that God had sent him to. They were definitely idol worshipers, right? They worshiped false gods, gods who did not exist, and they had statues of them. Maybe that's who he's talking about. Maybe he's talking about the sailors. Uh, the sailors worshiped other gods. You know, during the storm, they said, you know, pray to whatever god you worship, and, and, uh, that's when Jonah explained, you know. So maybe he's talking about the, the sailors. Of course, by the end of the story, they were praying and making vows, is, is the language it used, uh, to Yahweh, to God. Um, so maybe it's the sailors, but maybe not. There's a third possibility, and, and I lean towards this one. I think that when Jonah is talking about those who cling to worthless idols, he's actually talking about himself. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about himself. Now, Jonah didn't worship Idols, you know, little statues. But you know what an idol is? An idol, uh, broadly speaking, we, we don't worship these little statues either, but we have idols, right? An idol is something good that we take and we make it ultimate, right? So, you know, if you're really into how you, how you look, you know, you see people on magazines and, and it's not just people on magazines, right? But when you take beauty or your looks, it's a good thing. It's not nothing. It's a good thing to be uh, good looking. I mean, that's part of the beauty of the world. But when you make it ultimate, it becomes an idol, right? Your job, your work is a good thing. But when you make it ultimate, right, then it becomes an idol. Um, uh, even your family, you know, a relationship that you have, uh, if you, it, it's a good thing. 
But if you make it ultimate, right, then it becomes an idol, right? And Jonah says that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for him, uh, for them. Uh, this, this expression, worthless idols, uh, this is another one that I explored a little bit. Uh, shav hebel in Hebrew. Shav means idols. Uh, worthless is the word hebel. And the word hebel literally means a vapor, right? It's used, they use this word vapor to refer to something that's worthless. In the book of Ecclesiastes, if you've ever read that, uh, the teacher who writes the book of Ecclesiastes constantly says meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. It's that same word, hebel, vapor, vapor, everything's just a vapor. Everything comes and goes, passes, there's no substance to anything, you know. But where is the substance, right? Jonah says, those who clings to vapor idols. And maybe that's why he uses that word, right? Because for him, it's not a, a statue. For him, it's this, it's his hatred for Nineveh, right? Maybe that was his idol that he was clinging to, right? Or maybe it was his fear of what would happen when he went to Nineveh. Or maybe it was his sense that, that he knew better than God, that what they needed was God's wrath and not God's compassion. And we'll talk more about that. Um, chapter four, I think. Um, right, these are the idols that Jonah was clinging to. And you know, sometimes you have to end up inside the belly of a fish to get clear on what really matters, right? What's really important. For Jonah, right, he realized, oh, right, God's love is what is ultimate, right? These worthless idols, my anger, my fear, my hate, my, uh, my pride, vapor, vapor. I can't even cling on to them because they're a vapor, right? And the more I try to cling on to them, the more I end up turning away from God's love for me, right? Jonah was in the worst possible place that he could have imagined being, and yet this was the best place for him because this is where Jonah finally really, truly encountered God. So we all have belly of the fish experiences, right? And, and you know, I, I wonder sometimes what would, what if Jonah had, had said, I'm so angry at you, God. I've tried to be faithful this one time I mess up and you put me in the belly of a fish. Now you're going to kill me, you know? What if he had resisted and fought God on it? Maybe God would have just left him there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right? But you know what he does? He, Remember that word repent, right? He repents, but in the sense that he changes his mind. He changes his thinking. Um, he, uh, he surrenders, right, in the belly of the fish. And that's why God can then use him in the next two chapters, right? When we're in the belly of the fish, right, the invitation is not to resist, is not to fight, that doesn't mean, you know, if you have an issue and you need to take steps, but, but surrendered steps, right? Recognizing that God is in control. God, you lead me. I'll take the steps you call me to take. I will do what you call me to do, but I surrender, right? That's the invitation when we are inside the belly of the fish. Um, and so uh, I would invite you just to think for a moment, you know, are, are you in a belly of the fish circumstance now? Yeah. And what idols might you be clinging to, right? 
And if you're not right now, you probably will be sometime in the next few months or years, right? <laughs> we all will. We can start thinking about, about it now. Just, you know, um, it's called off-the-spot training. Start surrendering now so that when that time comes, right, we're really ready to surrender and let go of those idols that maybe we don't even recognize we have now, but then, oh. This is such a great story. All right. I, last thing. <laughs> I love how the story ends. Uh, let me read it to you. The, the ending lines of his prayer. So again, verse 8, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Right, The worst place that he could have possibly have found himself turned out to be the best place. Because this is where he encountered God. Yeah, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, you know what? Thank you for the hard times. They are hard and we don't want them. Um, and they can be devastating. Uh, but Lord, we thank you that you never abandon us. You never abandoned Jonah. He might have felt like it, but you never abandoned him. And you never abandon us even when we are in these times that feel like the belly of a fish. Um, Lord, for those who, who are in that kind of a, a period right now, uh, we pray that you would comfort them. We pray that you would strengthen them. Uh, we pray that you would uh, make yourself known to them. Uh, and even if you're hard to see at this time, uh, Lord, we pray that you would help them to, to surrender, to let go of whatever worthless idols they might be clinging to, uh, and that they would experience your love in a whole new way. Uh, Lord, for those of us who, who maybe aren't going through that time now, Lord, we pray that you would prepare us now for that time when it comes and that we would be ready uh, not to turn away by clinging to what has given us security in the past, but surrendering to you and, uh, and, and experiencing you in a way that maybe we've never experienced you before. Lord, we thank you that you are with us and you love us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that this has been a, uh, an encouraging and meaningful and uh, hopeful message for you today. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know if you're going through a belly of the fish experience or not. Uh, but if you are, right, you can, you can have hope. Uh, you can take courage. Uh, there's a line from, well, let me put it this way. A friend of mine has a tattoo on his arm. Um, and it's a, a quote from the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan speaking to Lucy. And it's just the line, courage, dear heart, right? For going through that time, courage, courage, dear heart, right? This is that moment, that time, that season in which we can have a deeply profound encounter with God. Well, thanks for uh, being here today and for listening. Uh, I want to invite you, uh, if you haven't yet, uh, just to... Uh, 
leave some feedback. You can email me, Marcus at MarcusWatson.com. Um, I'd love it if you would take the opportunity to leave a review on iTunes. If, uh, if it's worth a five star review, I would love to have a five star review. It would just be a blessing, uh, to me and to, uh, this podcast and to hopefully those who, uh, thereby would discover this podcast. Um, so five star review in iTunes would be fantastic. And uh, looking forward to next time uh, when I see you again. Uh, got more interviews lined up and uh, I'm excited for those. And so I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Mm-hmm.